You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. Our guests today are Ivan and Mariana Polich. Aside from being wonderful people and good friends, Ivan and Mariana are the co-founders of the Systemic Approach Institute. Now, what is a systemic approach, may I ask? Well, a systemic approach is a way of acting, thinking, and viewing the world, which focuses on relationships and recognizes that individuals are always embedded in a social context and also a larger context, which involves their families and ancestors. In their Systemic Approach Institute, Ivan and Mariana take this approach and apply it to the business world. This is a wonderful and deep conversation that may surprise you. You're going to want to stick around for this. Well, hey, we did it. All uh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're back. Well, one of our, guests, one of is our back. guests is back. That's right. And we have a new guest with us. So, Ivan, welcome back to our show. It's really lovely having you. And I'm so glad you brought your wife, Mariana, who... Uh, over the last couple of years, we've done a lot of work together. We, we did um, a year-long, pretty much a year-long set of courses on systemic work, and uh, Danny was involved with some of that. Mm-hmm. Oliver's been here and there on some things as well. Um, but it was really, really a, a deep and wonderful journey. I loved it. And I was really glad that we had a conversation the other day and that this worked out that you could come in and, and Satch... Uh, when I mentioned uh, to you that they were coming, how did you feel about it? Uh, I felt fantastic and I felt some regret that I've missed all of these opportunities to do this work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I'm kind of the, I'm, I'm, I'm of, of the four of us, I'm the one that knows the least about it, but we have spoken about it before. And um, it's kind of, I guess it's good to have a, a lay person's, you know, perspective on, uh, on this. I'll, I'll ask all, all the, the silly questions and keep everybody honest and make sure all the listeners know what we're talking about. So... Yeah, and, and I'm looking forward to diving uh, deeply into all the things that, that are going on for you right now and, and uh, talking also a little bit about the underlying theory, too, you know, what, what's it all about. Great. Uh, well, it's great to be with you guys again. Um, you create a really cool space, a really present space. Uh, I love the whole premise of it. I, I had a great time last time. I'm li- really looking forward to this time. And uh, this time having my partner here is even even cooler. Nice. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for inviting me. It's, uh, every time Ivan came in and hung out with you, he, he would say, it's just so nice and relaxing and you feel so good. And you'll see it's just a cool environment. So I'm happy. I already experienced some of that just being here in the preparation. So. Looking it's all forward. Percy's fault. It's the dog, yeah. Yes. It's the dog. Dogs just bring it, bring, you know, bring the right energy. See, and she knows we're talking about her. I'm not sure if we even yeah. deserve dogs. They're so good. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes with the puppy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the last two times you were here, Ivan, uh, it wasn't really about the work that you do. You were facilitating the discussion. You were explaining things. You were translating things for our friend Vlado. And that was wonderful, and you were very much um, very helpful in, in because you brought your experience into that. It wasn't just like you were translating the language, you were translating the experience. Uh, that helped. And a lot of people I shared 
those episodes with have give me the, given me the feedback that it was just really profound. Like they felt moved by what they heard and things like that. But what's cool about tonight is that we get to talk about your journey more and your journey more, Mariana, and how the two of you are creating something together and growing into something together uh, that is open to others joining. Yeah, it's 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 been quite a journey. Uh, those couple of times that I was here translating, it was really it was really deep, mm-hmm. and ha- going back to listen to it uh, was very very inspiring because we touched upon some really deep things, and um, the translation was in particularly. I think I think the quality of your listening made that translation very very resonant and uh, really in the in the wave of what Vlado was saying mm-hmm. in 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 resonance with him and very tight translation so uh, I, I really enjoyed it and yeah t- tonight we can talk a little bit more about kind of the slant we're taking with it Great. and where we're where we're going with it well I kind of feel the tickling inclination to say that what you said about the communication the two the two aspects of communication there's the the part where you're speaking and there's a part where they're listening or reaching for the information and there's exchange that kind of the two the two or the the groupings of people that are communicating are mixing together and creating an alchemy you know there, there are elements that are mixing in that and i feel like the systemic work uh, that you do is like that because it's not just the facilitator or the person who's leading or the person whose constellation it is. It's also every individual person who's diving into the experience and each person feels like they're the center of it in a way. Yes, uh, this, this work is really multidimensional. So if you are, uh, if we're doing something there, it's, it's, it's really touching everyone that's present. So... Uh, we make it a very inclusive environment, and uh, really, it is an exchange uh, when we when we're speaking here, even. So, um, I'd like to say that um, we share our nervous systems, if you would. So, um, where we might have activations, where we might have strengths. Uh, we can lean into each other when we're in a space like this. We can um, have more ease in some areas where we usually maybe don't because we can lean in your strengths, lean in your ease, if you would. There's a lot of ease in this space right now. I'm really enjoying that, and uh, I'm really looking forward to what we're going to get into. So, yeah. Can I ask maybe just uh, uh, give a quick description of, of... like in, in, in just a few sentences, if you can, I know great things are hard to describe, right? But um, just just for anybody listening, kind of what is it that we're talking about here? Like like sort of sort of name the the name the topic and sort of what you're doing, kind of give people a picture of what that looks like before we dive too deep. Yes. So the origins of this type of systemic work, it's called phenomenological uh, approach. And what phenomenological means is it comes, it's a, it's a two words combined, phenomenon and logos, 
in Greek, which means logos means study, and phenomenon is the natural occurring process in nature. So it's a study of natural occurring processes in nature. And how do you study uh, something like that? You need to come to the moment fresh. So um, if you're going to study a phenomenon, you need to leave back your previous notions about it. You need to know, you need to let go of what you think you know about it. You need to leave all that stuff behind. The previous knowledge, the previous experience, uh, all of those things. And so the origins of the work are really coming to the moment fresh, coming to the moment present, coming to the moment in the now and here. And then encountering the phenomenon in pure beginner's mind, in pure freshness, in pure first encounter. So it requires a little bit of uh, a suspension, more leaning into the not knowing, into the unknown of the phenomenon. And that's, that's the magic of this. And so what, what does it really do? It, it allows you to explore again. And so uh, it allows you to see things that um, when, we, when we are in the I know frame, you know, we, we are blind because we're not really encountering the moment. We are encountering our memory of it, if you would, or a construct or a structure or a belief of it. And so this, this kind of work was started with Bert Hellinger, and he encountered the moment fresh over and over, over a 40-year period. And out of that, two legacies came out. One legacy of Bert Hellinger is the constellation work which is very, very sacred modality where we come into and we look at the relationships in a, spati in a spatial way. Uh, how do we relate? And the one feature of it is that we're able to externalize an inner, inner image from, from inside of us. We can take inside parts of us and, and look at us in three dimensions. Usually we don't get the experience of seeing ourselves. And this is one of those rare. We can film ourselves and see ourselves, but this is one of those other rare sacred opportunities where we can take parts of ourselves and externalize it in the outside world. So that's a very cool feature. But in order to do that work, we need a group of people. We need a certain space. We need a certain, a certain environment. We need to be in the space on and on and on. And it's, we're doing it online now, but it's still we need, we need to see the spatial and, and online it can be done still. And in my experience, as I was really enjoying this work, I was always left with a little bit of the people that need this work the most, they will never show up in a room like that. Hmm. Okay, the people that need, need the fresh look, they need another look, they will never come to a room like that. And out of that, uh, we, we got inspired and we said, how can we take the experience from the sacred room, from the sacred space, and take it and put it into our daily lives? 
how can we take the principles, and that's the second legacy of Bert Hellinger. Bert, Bert Hellinger over 40 years distilled the principles of this work that are independent of the constellation process itself. So you can take the principles and bring them into your daily life where then you can live on a daily basis with that lens of approaching the moment fresh. Mm. And um, another reason is that when you're really interested in this, you have to fly all over the world to learn. <laughs> okay. Also, those things, you, you cannot fly all the time. You cannot go all the time. Especially and now. The, yes. And so then you have a training and then you have weeks and then you have a training or then you, maybe you have an experience or whatever it is. And so I said, but what about all this space in between? What are we going to do with that? You know? And then we said, we're going to do systemic work all day, every day. It's, we're going to do it as a way of life. Mm. And that's what, we, that's what we really created and that's what we're really doing. And imagine... That's what hooked me, by the way. Yes. <laughs> because that's attractive, the idea of really immersion, you know, the idea of fully immersing yourself into something. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, for us, when you are training for something every six weeks, mm. you're going to need multiple lifetimes to reach the depth. Uh, and what I just said is fairly simple. It's, it doesn't take long to learn, but it takes a lifetime to master. And um, throughout one day, you can get more experiences than a year of training. Because moment to moment, we are encountering so many opportunities for growth, so many opportunities for seeing things in a new way that uh, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. When we are not in, in regular life, when you go to a sacred event, there is sacred ceremony. Everybody says, come with those intentions. Everybody's at their best behavior. Everybody's putting their intentions on the sacred work. And so sacred work is easier. It's all the conditions are ripe for that. Can you do sacred work when your angry neighbor is yelling at you? <laughs> Can you have the presence when... So it's more difficult in regular life, but it's better training. And so all day, every day, that's kind of how we approach it. And what are we using it, such? And that's what you asked for. We're using it in business. We're using it at home. We're using it everywhere we go. All day, every day is literally uh, something that you, you live in a way where this lens is always with you. And so you try the, the best of your ability to see things in a fresh way. And... Um, you know, we're running a business, we're now running a, the, this business, which is the Systemic Approach Institute, sharing people, sharing things with people all over the world. Um, we're teaching at the university. That's a really cool thing, teaching uh, undergrad students systemic work. Wow, cool. That's a really cool thing. We're doing it in, in two places. And uh, it's, it's really rewarding, and the light bulbs are going off. And there seems to be an acceleration of acceptance. Fantastic. Of, of all of this. So 
uh, it's it's a really exciting time, and I'm not sure that I answered your question, Seth. I think you have. So <laughs> so uh, from what I gathered from what you described, um, I think I got it. So this is like something that that more traditionally was done, like um, maybe like a workshop. People get together and they practice this thing, this this technique, this method, and then they go back to their lives. And you're taking this sort of you know to, to the next phase of its evolution, which is to make it more practical everyday training. It's just like, you, you know, it's, it's like it's easy to meditate when you're meditating in meditation class, but it's not so easy to meditate on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles at five o'clock. Absolutely. Yeah. As I was getting more, more and more into it, and as, a, as I was starting to facilitate healing and expansion and growth for other people, we would have an event, and I would go very deep, very sacred, and it would be incredible an experience and boom the next day i would be in the boardroom reading you know and and dealing with really like practical down-to-earth difficult things so that gap the gap that i was experiencing was unbearable like i wanted i wanted more sacred time but and so uh the world wouldn't come to my sacred space, so I took the sacred space to the world. Well, I'm really glad your wife is here, because who knows the difference between um, the person in the sacred space during during the event compared to the person every day, you know, in the morning when you spill your coffee on your shirt, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is interesting. This is kind of neat that you're you're doing this together. Yes, it is. It is. And we, we've been through different um, modalities, you know, learning them and transformational modalities, if you will. And every time you're in the, if you will, a bubble forms, you know, with a bunch of people and then you do a training and then you, you feel great, you feel transformed, you feel the other people around transformed around you and then you go home and it's same old same all you know the the life as it is just kind of grabs you back and pulls you in and then you are faced with you know dealing with the same problem all over again i mean yes you do have a little bit of knowledge and then you st start to apply it and start to see the problems differently but after a while you know especially if you don't follow through and and you don't go you know um consistently to you know to uh prolong your healing and to um, add to your learning, it becomes just, you know, like you never even done anything. And then, um, so when we started doing the systemic work, it is very deep and it's, it is very sacred. And at first, there's no way that you can bring it into the real world, mm. right? Because it's, it's so special. But then you learn about principles of systemic work. And then the principles are so good and so cool that it's, you just cannot, it will be a shame not to live by them. Mm. You know, like one of the principles is acknowledging what is. You know, if if I'm faced with, you know, like you said, a 401 freeway or an angry neighbor or something, if, if in that moment I remember that principle and I acknowledge what is and I center myself and I, I get in touch, you know, with my sacredness, I'm able to deal with that issue differently. You know, so, you know, you mentioned such training. It's more noticing, I would say. You know, you train yourself, yes, to notice more, to notice yourself, to notice 
where you're coming from to notice which system is ruling you in this moment because we are ruled by systems. That's basically what it is. And the more you notice on a day-to-day basis, the better understanding you have of who you are and and also the relationships that you have with others. Um, one of the things that I haven't mentioned is the unknown, you know, the ability to sit with the unknown, to look at the unknown, which is actually very uncomfortable, especially nowadays. You know, we're all living in the world of information, you know, being the know. That's, I think, one of the slogans. I don't even know where from. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we chase information. We need to be in the know. Uh, we need to know what's going on. You know, we, I know, and myself also, you know, when I'm traveling, I need to know, you know, what's the weather going to be, what's the traffic and all. But can you start expanding your capacity for the unknown? You know, can I say, you know what, today I'm not going to look at the map to see what, if traffic is going to happen. If it happens, I'll, I'll do something in the car. I'll call my mom, I'll call my friend to catch up or something like that. Or just any, any chance and any opportunity that we can get to face the unknown and to live with it and just see what it brings, it expands our capacity for life. You know, also because life is full of unknowns. That's also a slogan, I believe. <laughs> Life is full of unknowns. You know, I was, I was thinking uh, the unknown is also what is. So you, if you're acknowledging what is, you have to acknowledge what is unknown as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. That's an interesting idea. How do you acknowledge something that, that, that is unknown? You know? Well, that's also the, the thing that unknown is, you know, um, facing yourself every day and then facing your partner also. And then... How do you regulate that when you are facing yourself in, and in that moment you have a out of character reaction to something and then or your partner has the out of character reaction. And now we actually when we do communicate and we talk to each other and if the because we don't fight, you know, every now and then we will bicker, but it's not even us that are doing it. Mm. It is something that we're representing for someone. Mm. You know, it could be masculine and feminine. It could be, you know, patriarchy or matriarchy. It could matriarchy. It could be something that we are, in that moment, representatives for. So one, once you know that you, from the systemic lens, once you have it and you put it on, and you're like, oh wow, you know, uh, I think you were um, standing for the patriarchy, what I was standing for the matriarchy, and that's where the butting of the heads happened. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier to make peace, you know, and go back to your true self. And, you know, wow. remember that he's my husband and I'm his wife and we love each other. And, uh, you know, there's nothing else. That's really profound. I was just uh, thinking about that. When you, when you uh, detach yourself from having to be so involved in the emotional experience and you relax a bit to acknowledge all the unknown portions... It's like you're acknowledging that that uh, some of your opinions and even your feelings may be driven from things that aren't you. They're driven from things that you may have learned or or or, or things you may have experienced that you're just passing through you. Um, that's a really great perspective for partnership in general. Yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah, the 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 leadership piece. Um, uh, the leadership in the unknown. Okay, so obviously we we run an aerospace company. I don't know. If that was obvious. <laughs> when I saw you, you guys, aerospace company. You guys heard. You guys know about it. <laughs> no, I know that. So we run an aerospace company. It's a very concrete type of work. Yeah. Okay, and so as a leader, 
I would catch myself needing to provide the answers, needing to provide the knowledge, needing to provide direction, needing to give guidance, needing to set the stage, needing to all do all those things. And because I was seeing it that way, I was always the one that owned the problem. Mm. And no matter how much I tried for someone else to own it, <laughs> because I had to know what I was doing, mm. I owned own it the most. And I had an epiphany. What if I didn't know the answer? Which I clearly don't because I'm not solving the problem. But I want to, I want to know the answer to the problem. But I'm not really even putting a dent on this problem for a long time. I'm frustrated. The team's frustrated. Everyone's frustrated. Problem's not getting solved. That's a combination of lose, 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 lose. <laughs> so what did I do? I acknowledged the fact that I don't know what to do. Because if I did know what to do, this problem would have already been solved. Mm -hmm. So I went up in front of my team and I said, guys, I clearly don't know what to do. I absolutely don't know what to do. And I'm going to tell you, if we don't figure it out together, it's not going to get figured out. And so um, that is the leadership in the unknown. What does that do to the listener? Uh, it opens a vacuum of exploration. Mm -hmm. Because when the answers come from one, one place only, everyone else is passive. Yeah, they don't need to. There is no vacuum. And they, they, they're just waiting to be fed the answer. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, is, that, is, that was a really, really cool thing that there is absolute gold in the unknown mm -hmm. waiting to be discovered. And that's really the part of this. And so when we are attached to the roles, okay, CEO, uh, okay, we got X, Y, and Z problems. Okay, what are you going to do about it, Mr. CEO? Uh, you know, in the role, it's, it's kind of difficult. And if you can step back and see what is really going on and then name it in the space with others, it really, it, it creates freedom, it creates elbow room, m more room for the truth. And uh, just, just wanted to mention that as, as Mariana was sharing about the unknown. It's, it, it's a leadership through vulnerability too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's another... It's another justification for leading with vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, besides the idea that it's authentic, but I mean, the fact that you're inviting other people's genius into the discussion mm -hmm. when you lead with vulnerability. It yeah. makes sense, right? It's very, um, it's very Taoist leadership, but, but very practical. It's yeah. very practical advice. And facilitative, yeah. like you were mentioning from, yeah. from the description and... Yeah. In occupational therapy, remember our discussion mm -hmm. about leadership and that's right. Yeah, directed leaders, of, uh, facilitative lever, lead, leaders, and um, uh, advisory leaders, where you just just be a resource to the group members and let them decide. Yeah, you know, um, 
Right. Which is where the transformation happens, right. you know. Right. So wow. The the team also appreciated very much um, Ivan's insights because he's extremely insightful. You know, I um, I I like to I think that, that he. About him. <laughs> I like to think. I like to say that he reveals the unknown truth. Mm. You know, he has that special special um, you know gift. Uh, gift and the kind of like a yeah. you know secret kind of ninja skill mm -hmm. that he can do. And uh, with systemic work, it really took it to a to the next level in terms of recognizing you know um, patterns in the company that have been happening for a long time that we couldn't address because, you know, in systemic work, when you have patterns, they're there to serve the purpose, some kind of purpose, but mm. we don't know what they are. And we can't solve them because we haven't identified what that is. But then with systemic work, we started kind of noticing. So when the team will bring up a question or a problem, an issue in a, in a team meeting mm -hmm. in the morning, and then it, it's so funny because they're like, you know, there's this problem in quality department and this is what is happening and then I can just feel Ivan you know on my side the, the wheels start working mm -hmm. and and he's like I'm like okay he got it he got the answer and then he will just tell them historically he starts with historically <laughs> so that they can understand that this is not something of their doing that this is something that we understand why they haven't found a solution yet and it's the past and it's the past and then he explains to them historically how that happened, why it's still happening, and what is the possibility. And then he opens it up for them to, you know, suggest what's the possibility for um, resolving it. I love that. And I, I use the same word with clients because I, I don't want them to, to drag their problems verbally and mentally, psychically into their future or even into the present too much. So I, I, I will bump that in there. I'll kind of say historically speaking, that's how it's been. But, you know, you dropped a gem. I want to focus in on just a moment ago. It was about the problem uh, and it being revealed what the per, what the underlying um, uh, not just you didn't say origin. You said something about the uh, like the underlying reasoning behind where that problem exists. And I think a lot of people would zoom past that and and just kind of hear that and kind of mind lulled and to the next thing. But there's really really profound because if you look at the thing. Uh, that way, then you stop feeling antagonistic about the problem. Mm -hmm. You stop feeling like you're fighting against something, and it's more creative, isn't it? It's more more exploratory. It's more uh, an invitation to genius to say, "Oh, well, wait a minute, there are other factors. It's not just this problem. There's there's things that led into it, and there's attitudes that may have allowed it. And you know, how is it even possible this problem exists in the first place? There's got to be a pre a set of preconditions that is allowing this to be right." So, yeah. Well, that's also, uh, so one of the other principles is problems or solutions. Mm -hmm. And I love watching people's faces when Ivan drops that one. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times, oh. yeah, and it's not just, you know, the, the company. Yeah. It's the students of ours, you know, in, in different uh, programs and the university and everything. Mm -hmm. So they will bring up something, you know, and this is happening and I have this in my family. And then he's like... Well, you know what? I need to tell you that problems, one of the principles is the problems are solutions. And I immediately look at their faces and, and it's just the look of buffering on their faces that happens because yeah. nobody ever thinks about a problem being a solution. So, I mean, you're so much better than me explaining that. And see the little <laughs> apple circle going like this on their foreheads uh, yeah. as they're loading. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, nothing in the world, nothing in the universe exists without a purpose. So everything that exists... Even exists, mosquitoes? ...exists for a purpose. <laughs> we may not know what that purpose is yet. Mm. Um, even the really ugly things in existence that we have... Like mosquitoes. Yes. <laughs> Even them. The nasty ones nowadays. <laughs> so, damn those. Some of those things are really problematic, like existentially difficult to acknowledge. Some of those really difficult parts of, parts of what, we, what we have on the planet that we really don't, don't want to look at, don't want to accept. But even them, they have some kind of purpose. Even they are a solution to something. Um, and we may not know what that is because it, it's beyond our pay grade. Mm. Uh, we're not going to know everything. Another piece on the unknown is this is just my belief, so I can just park it on the side. And you know, I'll just share, share it with you so you can, you can uh, check into that yourself. My belief is that if we take all the knowledge of civilization from the beginning of time, and we take it all, and the smartest people in the world right now, and we combine it all, and we put it all on one pile of, big old pile of knowledge. I believe that the unknown is still towering over that pile. Yeah. So, I like to use a metaphor, back, day, back in the 1800s, when we were just starting to harness electricity, uh, we saw the lightning and we, for thousands of years, we saw the lightning. We wanted to harness it, but we didn't know how. And eventually we were able to harness electricity. My belief is also that we are in the early stages of harnessing some of this, uncovering the mysteries in a deeper level. I think we're just scratching the surface. And also I think that this will not happen in our lifetimes. Mm. So no matter how hard we try, we're not getting there. So knowing that there is no end line, that there is no finish line, there is no, there is no like, okay, we have figured it out. It's gonna be, it's gonna be in several hundreds of years, if not more, that that's going to happen. So we, in the meantime, we can just relax. Relax and lean into the vast unknown and approach it in that way. And so in the unknown is why some of these things exist. And maybe we can uncover the why. What is the solution that this problem is, is providing? And uh, how, how, does that, how does that look? Um, what would be a good example? Um, a physical illness is a solution. In, it is a signal to the host that's carrying the illness for some kind of uh, noticing, awakening, if you would. It's a call to attention. Mm. It's, it's a solution to... Uh, possibility of uh, a wider look at their life 
Okay, and usually these problems have escalating nature. So um, if you don't notice it the first time, then, you know, problem gets a little louder and a little louder and it may get terminal. Even, if you, even family members come, right? If you're insistent then, uh, on ignoring it. Yeah. And so it, and it, this can happen in your, in your wider, wider circle. And so uh, this, this is something that is, that is very, very important. And so if you approach a, approach a problem in a fresh way, so phenomenologically, if you will, then you are looking for a wider picture of the whole. Where is this problem appearing? What is the space it's appearing in? What is the larger system? What is the family in which this illness is appearing? And what is the society in which it's appearing? And then you can see that maybe uh, there, there is a larger reason and a larger solution that it's providing. And then how can you acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged so that this problem has provided this, the solution is, solution is reached so that it doesn't need to exist anymore or that you can replace it with something else. And so that's, that's, the, that's explaining that, that principle. But I think we, we have a little bit of, uh, we're, we're coming in from different angles, so we still need a little bit of baseline foundation so that we can really get what this is about. And there, there are more foundational principles to the problems of solutions. But problems of solutions is one of the key ones. It seems um, that in order to, well, let me just first say that I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that lesson, so I appreciate that. That's given me so much mileage in my own life and in the way that I've shared with others, so thank you. But um, what I've noticed and, and was reminded when you were speaking a moment ago is how much patience it takes and acceptance it takes to be able to take that approach that problems are solutions and actually get something from it. Because like we were saying in the beginning about people buffering when you say that at first is because it's challenging to hear that. And it seems unlikely at first glance. It looks like, come on, stop with that. You know, <laughs> give me the real answer. But it's when you relax the need to have it right this second, and you just start to ponder the question and mull it over and explore how might that be true if it were true. And like you say, what are all these underlying conditions? Um, you could take a look at, okay, well, what happens when the problem happens? Uh, you mentioned a terminal illness, and I said something about family, because isn't it true that a lot of people's unresolved family pain and issues and relationships come up during a terminal situation, they start to go, shoot, I need to go visit them. And oh God, and I got to deal with my cousin or, you know, all this kind of stuff comes up and it, it does force some kind of movement in areas that are not related to the sickness. Well, at least not on the surface, they're invisibly connected to, to those things. At least that's, that's what you're saying, isn't it? That, that there is this invisible connection that becomes visible once you start to expand the phenomenological approach to see the zoomed out versus the zoomed in perspective, right? You start to see how everything is connected. 
Yes, and um, this this is really like uh, much more zooming out. This happening here, uh, and our education system is not like that. Our education system is very zooming in, analytical, and this is really zooming out, looking at the whole as opposed to the parts. And so, you have a biologist who is going to study biology, and then you have the quantum mechanics um, deep dive, and then you have you know geography. In, in all these specialized line of study, but who is looking at the whole? And what is the relationship between this, these different studies and different phenomena? And this, this is one of those lenses where you're looking at the whole. So uh, the example that you use, Carlos, um, looking at the whole, so we have the individual, but then we look at the family as a whole. Okay, and for an example, there is a missing father because he died or he is remarried or for whatever reason, there is a missing father. Um, systems like to keep their integrity and keep, keep themselves intact and they want to, uh, they want to keep themselves whole. So if there is a missing part, they want to include the missing part so if you would there is a there is a missing body but a present energy phantom limb yes but <laughs> an energy without a body and what the system does is sucking in other bodies into that energy so there is a vacuum of energy because someone's missing and then other, other bodies get sucked in. And usually, the innocent get sucked in to those roles. So then you have children parenting their parents because there is a missing grandfather. Okay? And so there's all these patterns that are developed because of this. So maybe there's a relationship between mother and father is difficult. In a huge conflict, and then the system sucks in the child in between them to complete it. So the first pattern I talked about when there is a missing grandparent, that's called parentification of parenting your parents. Mm. And this second pattern that I was talking about of peacemaking, where we are recruited as a young child to be the completer of a relationship, mm. that's called triangulation. So there's something missing in the relationship and me as the child will get sucked in and I will calculate very closely uh, what do I do for this one so this one doesn't get mad and what do I do for that one so that this one doesn't blow up and so that you as a child get triangulated with your parents. And so this happens everywhere. When there is a missing leader in an organization Employees get sucked in to different places mm. and things. And so this, this kind of thing happens all the time. So um, a lot of times in our life, systems want to suck us into places. Uh, the Me Too movement has openings, if you would, <laughs> in, their, in, their, in their group. And so energetically we get sucked in. 
and and different uh, causes that are out there um, from both sides, all the polar polarity polarization that is happening, all those things tend to hijack us. And the the main why this is happening is the principle of systemic work that all systems are part of our larger systems. So there are systems embedded in systems. So giving you ex an example, we as individuals we're part of a family system. So that's a larger system than us. Family system is part of the ancestral system. Where does a family come from? That's a larger system. Then ancestors come from a certain culture or a background. That's a larger system. They come from a certain geographical area. That's even a larger system. And there's a larger and larger and larger systems that are involved. And sometimes disturbances at the larger systems show up as symptoms in the smaller system. And so a lot of times... Our favorite question to ask ourselves is, is this mine? Mm. Because we are hijacked all the time. All the time. We are recruited for different purposes all day long. And because of that, uh, is this mine is a really, really freeing thing. If you can check in with yourself deep inside especially when you when you're activated for some reason is this mine and what is my activation a solution to what am i being recruited for and am i consenting to being recruited or am i not consenting is this mine or am i going to be involved and how will i be involved and so uh, those, those are some of the things that, that come up all the time for us. And now for us, having been doing this for 10 years, it happens all, all. That's why all day, every day is needed because yeah. it's, 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 um, you walk into a grocery store and you can get hijacked by the screaming kid, by the market, by mm. the, by the, how, how the thing is organized. How, how things are structured and, and, and in any place. So it's, it's everywhere, all around us. That question, is it mine, mm. sounds on the surface like a simple question, but I found that it's often many-layered. It's not like I always know, oh, well, for sure, this is not mine, or no, this is mine. It's, sometimes it's, it's like, oh, it's mine, but it's not mine and it's also mine and it's not mine depending on how I'm looking at it and it's it opens up a Pandora's box of me having to explore uh why is that you know why yeah. is that so is this mine is kind of like first aid mm. okay so it's triage absolutely like okay I feel like I feel activated so let me just check is this like mine first like as a first step because in that moment if you get a no you have more space mm. you have more agency you're not you're not taking over and so that's kind of like a first aid first aid kit is is this mine and then once once you get the answer then you can proceed to as you calm down you cannot really in an activated state do discovery like 
exploration isn't going to really be fruitful. Uh, first aid is, is this mine? And if it's not, how can I de-escalate? Like how can I compose myself? And then from that place, you can, you can come back later uh, to, to, to explore maybe what, what this is about. Uh, but uh, we, we found that having um, fine-tuned yes and no in our bodies that are beyond our mind is really helpful. Yeah. It's almost like um, an internal muscle testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if, you, if you're practicing a lot on those yeses and nos, then is this mind, you can provide a reliable, reliable signal in your body. Is this, am I getting a yes or a no? And so for us, with a lot of practice, we have this really reliable and really available within, within one second, two seconds, we, we get something reliable. And then of what is really cool, having to live with a ninja <laughs> is that uh, sometimes sometimes I will ask the is it mine and sometimes she will ask me is it, is it yours and I will ask her so it, it really helps to have it's almost like the the village the village uh, signals like mm-hmm. hey uh, notice the activation <laughs> yeah. so whoever can notice first can can bring, bring the voice of reason if you would and so sorry i'm laughing i'm thinking who the hell does this belong to exactly <laughs> but that, yes that's what actually happens though oh, because he sucks <laughs> well carlos knows and such i hope you will experience it soon you know when you're in the constellation circle and then the client presents an issue then the facilitator asks the client to go and pick, you know, a representative from the field to represent for them and the issue and so and so. So you, they come to you and they ask you, would you represent for me? So they are recruiting you. And then they set you up in a field, as you know, and then you kind of assume the energy of them and what is missing or whatever that is. So you're recruited in the field. But so that's when you're in the circle, right? The the um, how do you call it, the normal way of doing constellations. When you are on your own throughout the day, you know, when your partner, you get recruited unknowingly. The system recruits you. It's not mm-hmm. the person asking for the, the system. The something that wants to be seen and shown and revealed recruits you unconsciously because there's an opening in you in that moment for that something to come in and speak through you. It's, it's easier to miss that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For most of us. Exactly, because in the moment you're behaving out of character or the moment you're experiencing something so deeply, profoundly, but too much, like you can't even handle it, then it's definitely something more than that. So in that moment, you know, when we see each other, um, it's very hard to do it for yourself. You know, you have to literally pause, you know, and for me, it's when I have a, 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 a psycho bitch from hell reaction to something, <laughs> I have to like bring myself you know, a few steps back. And I was like, why the hell are you acting this way? What is wrong? Who is this? Or, you know, we have it, you know, we asked each other. Then in that moment, most of the time it's, it's no, it's not mine. Mm. But then <laughs> the next question is, you know, how do I, you know, decrease it? How do I, 
you know, take the pressure off, like I want to say. And then the next one is then I would so go further even, and that's how we're discussing, well, can we pinpoint whose is it? And also, why is it showing up now? There's mm -hmm. obviously something that happened to me, you know, moments leading up to it that created that opening for something to come in and speak through me. So what, wh whose is it? And, you know, sometimes we can, you know, a lot of times we will say, well, you know, I need to, I have a need to be seen or I have a need to acknowledge my lost siblings or, you know, uh, I am, I'm speaking for the ancestor that got robbed off of something. Or, you know, whatever that might be. And, and, you know, the more you practice, obviously, the easier it is to identify. But sometimes even if you don't, don't identify it, you just acknowledge that it's not yours. You know, the relief comes, you know. And uh, just like I, I said earlier, um, when we're representing for two systems and we're kind of going at it. And then we're like, oh, hold on, who is speaking right now? I know it's not me. Well, I know it's not me either. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to, you know, to kind of go back to yourself and center yourself. There is huge unexpressed anger in the world. There is repressed anger. There is re re repressed emotion all over the place. There's trauma. So all of those, all of those things are looking for an expression. And if you are uh, available nervous system, and the more present you are, the more available you are, uh, you get you get recruited to process for others. You get to, you get recruited to express things uh, for others, for systems and, and other people. And so, um, you know, be, being aware of that is, is really, really important so that we, we get hijacked less. I just want to state the obvious for perhaps someone who might be going, I think I know what they're saying, but I'm not 100% sure. So I'm assuming we're talking about like a situation where uh, we go throughout a day and a large portion of that day uh, we have various reactions to things. We don't usually have a very conscious ability to track where that reaction came from. We just pin the tail on the doggy and say, oh, what's that? But we rarely go deep into, well, is that really where that reaction came from? Because I don't need to react that way, so why did I in that particular case? Is, is, was, was there something else going on? Like when people say, I had a rough day, and that's their explanation for why they snapped at you or whatever. And, and that might be true. There is some exhaustion that's part of it, but there are also elements to the way the person approached uh, there could be triggering of memories. There could be things that have nothing to do with you and the other person. So basically it sounds like what you're saying is that um, this is a way of beginning to really pay attention in a very new way, to, to, to develop a second attention as opposed to the normal attention we have, a secondary attention that, that's intuitive, that is um, listening to your sensory experiences and uh, exploring where those visceral feelings, wow, you're making a lot of noise, aren't you there? <laughs> Heavy breather. She's um, being off, recruited off. by yeah, something. She is. She is. is that panting yours? Come is on, that your off. panting? Um, and if you stop to ask yourself the question that you're asking, is this mine? 
um, that you begin to create a little bit of a step in between you and the reaction. So you become, in, in a sense, more capable of being in self-control and more capable of rooting out uh, uh, and perhaps reducing the uh, volatility of any reactions, in essence, being a more mindful person in relationships and, and just in general. Uh, what appeals to me about it a lot is, is that it kind of checks or ticks the box of a lot of the things when people talk about spiritual and psychic development, but without being so jargony and so filled with um, complex metaphysical stuff, uh, there's still some basic ideas that are involved, but it, it seems more um, tangible and uh, maybe more rational and sensible, uh, but still offers the intuition a chance to really show up through it and isn't so woo-woo that a person who maybe has a hard time with those ideas would reject it outright. They might say, okay, you know, yeah, I guess I could pay attention more to how I feel and I, I could identify um, tension in my body or f sensations and visceral feelings. I, I could realize that I have a history and that that plays into my responses and, and, and I can realize that I'm responding to other people and picking up things that aren't so easy to, to see on the surface. So it gets more and more subtle. Um, but the ideas are really simple ideas, aren't they? They're like logical, simple ideas that have just stepped further and further into the unknown, <laughs> further and further into the, to the subtle. And we're finding like uh, descriptors for these subtle experiences that most people move past without taking the time to, to catalog. And so you become more of an intuitive person as a result. Yes, um, presence and um, being able to pre be present longer is, is the absolute prerequisite. And being present as much as possible and noticing from there uh, your, your sense of observation and taking the sensory inputs and then, you know, developing some acuity around that and then using the principles on top of that. So it's, it's a kind of like a pyramid structure, the foundation of presence and your observation and then principles. And so um, without the presence and observation, the principles just kind of, you know, they're, they're not really reaching their full potency because because your uh, ability to notice and present presence things and and notice and observe things isn't at the level where where you can really be in contact with the moment mm -hmm. and when you're not in contact with the moment all you're doing is projecting the principles and slapping principles on things mm -hmm. without really presencing the moment uh, and really acknowledging the reality as opposed to projection. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the key to, to, to all of it. Well, let's dive into that for a moment because I'd love to hear both of your opinions and ideas about and experiences with the presencing, you know, the, the being present part. Because I think we might have a particular understanding what that means, but 
How would you describe that or begin to even start to notice what that is so you could plug all of those things into what you just said? Yes. Um, so in order to present yourself fully, you need to acknowledge where you come from. So um, if you're going to be present fully, you need to sit here fully present with knowing where you come from and who you are, meaning you come from a long line of ancestors that have passed on life from generation to generation to the generation from your your father father and your mother in two different rivers of life have merged inside of you and so you presence that um, knowing that that's where I come from those are my origins and then you presence presence your body in the here and now and you presence the space that you're in and then you kind of sit in all of it simultaneously that's acknowledging acknowledging what is acknowledging the moment fully and in that space something happens um, it's there is no denial, there is no preference, there is no, no agenda. And you, from that space, from that presence, you are available to encounter the moment fresh. And that's, that's, that's the best I can describe it. And as such, because that is not a common state of people. And as such, when you go into a state like that, your availability of your nervous system is higher than others. So you get, you get revelations you get the signals that others don't notice. Not that others couldn't, it's just that they, they are not present to that point. So, oh, there it is. Uh, let's <laughs> send the smoke signals now. <laughs> if you would, um, the universe will send the, send the signals to you if you, are, if you are sitting there like that. And so that's, that's the whole thing. Can we do that all day, every day? Can, can we use everyday life as a practice ground to develop more and more of that, that level of presence? And you just notice things. You notice more things. Your attention and energy is not tied up in what you already know in the concepts and ideas and you are more available more of your energy is available for what wants to emerge what wants to reveal to you and others in that space and so that's the best way i can i can describe the the present it's almost it's an empty state but it's a full state 
it's pregnant. It's empty full <laughs> simultaneously. And um, I'm glad you guys are referencing the Taoist philosophy and all these things. So in a lot of ways, it's a paradox. And um, there's probably some natural, natural differences in description of other people going there because it isn't really describable. It's... You call it a gap at one point, remember? I did call it a gap. Uh, <laughs> a gap between the... We have very common modes of operation. One mode is the visioning. Like we're going to mm -hmm. cast a vision and we're going to manifest. And what do I want? And can I conjure up as much energy into that? so that my vision will come true. That's one approach. The other approach is the opposite approach. Let me sit here and tune in and get the answer um, to that. Let me meditate and let me listen, listen, and let me listen with the, like a prayerful listening so that I will get enlightened, maybe, that I will get the answer, that I will get the thing that will then I can vision with. <laughs> okay? And so those two are kind of the usual. And what I'm describing is the in-between, no agenda. Not expecting an answer and not really visioning. And... It's a place where there's nothing to do. There is nowhere to go. There is no agenda. Observing without a direction, without cause, without, it's, it's really the gap. So, it's a very pregnant gap. It's pure potentiality. And then when you're there, you get revealed things that usually when you're visioning, you're too busy. You, you are projecting. <laughs> you're projecting everything you want. Hard. And this takes a lot of energy. It makes you unavailable. And then when you're expecting it, um, you are, you're in receiving mode, kind of. And then this empty fool, kind of, you are all of it with no, no thing, nothing. And that's that's you know thank you for the for the gap um assist the assist <laughs> uh, yes so, but that that's that was great great to um to give it some flavor it's it's hard not to to make the comparison with taiji and wuji yeah 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 right? yeah it's definitely Taoist definitely concepts that are exactly what you just described and, and you know i'll, I'll say this because you know because i haven't done this work with you guys and so some of these things that you're sharing tonight, I'm, I'm, um, well, first of all, some of these things have really, really struck a chord inside me. 
right? You probably noticed a few things struck a chord in me because I noticed you notice that if go, <laughs> so I'm discovering these things uh, in the moment. So I don't have a history of it. So some of my, my own insights, like when you, when you mentioned the, the, just asking that question, is this mine? You know, um, I was very pleased to hear that. Right. Cause it started to open up op opportunities and all different kinds of things in my life. And so I'm thinking, Oh, I can't wait to start asking this question. I'm already asking this question. Right. <laughs> and, um, then this, this, this discussion about, you know, being in the gap, um, is one of those opportunities where we get reminded of things that we already know, but we let our mind get too involved to the point where we forget the things that we actually know because we're thinking about them too much. Mm. And I just had a conversation with, with um, uh, a dear friend of mine recently, and we were talking about meditation. And uh, this person was talking about how they, they hate meditation, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and, and I should have... I went into that mode of, of just, I'm not trying to project my concept or what I know. I just noticed that like, okay, well, if you feel that way, then it's, you probably think meditation is something other than what it is. And we had a discussion of the, the, the cat staring at a hole waiting for a mouse. The mouse isn't there right now. Right. Mm. Um, but there's this beautiful state of suspended action mm. when the cat is waiting for the mouse. The cat's not thinking that much about the mouse. And the mouse isn't there. But there's just this calm, active readiness. And that's meditation, right? Is that that, that state in between. And um, when you ask that question, is this mine? puts me into the state of the cat actively, patiently waiting for the mouse to show up or the frog just sitting there waiting for a fly to come by, right? And when you project your vision for the future, I want to manifest this, that, and the other thing, right? What's going to happen to the mouse if the cat runs over the hole and sticks his paw in the, in the hole, right? Going to scare the mouse away. You know what I mean? And so... Um, you get in the way. Yeah, you get in the way. You get in your own way and, and uh, prevent the very thing that you want. So to be aware that there's potential there and to be patient, but also be ready. There's a certain expectation that this is going to happen if you don't run after it too much. And you also have to be ready and can't just sit around and you know, miss it. Fall asleep at the hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't miss it, right? So... Um, um, well, so thank you. I'm, I'm very, very excited to be asking this question all the time because I'm, I'm feeling like a cat waiting for a mouse. <laughs> Great. So. Great. Well, it's one of those, you know, if people can take a takeaway. Uh, change starts with acknowledging what is. Okay, so if people can just hear that, um, one of my teachers has a habit of starting almost all of his lectures with, I really don't want to teach this. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't want to be here. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I, I really don't want to, I don't, I don't want to teach anymore. Uh, and so 
when you are sitting there listening to your teacher say that for the first time, you're like, huh? And then, but there is, there is actual very genius, genius behind it. If you're doing an activity and you're denying what is, it's excruciating. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, I'm going to like this workout. <laughs> I'm going, to, I'm going to like this workout. You must like this workout. You have to like this workout. Yes, yes, you like it. So it's it's excruciating. But if you say, oh, I really, this is appalling. <laughs> Whatever it is. Okay, so I'm just going to extend this a little further. Naming what you're feeling reduces the activation of your amygdala. So even if you're wrong, listen to that. Even if you're not naming it properly, you still deactivate your nervous system. So they did studies on this, and they would have people name what they're feeling and they would reduce activation in their brains. They would measure their brains. Okay, so hostage negotiators use this all the time to de-escalate the activation in the kidnappers. And so two favorite statements is of hostage negotiators is labeling statements of seems like there is lots of emotion there. Hmm. Sounds like that you guys might be hungry. Just a labeling, acknowledging what is. Change starts with acknowledging what is. Okay, and so if all the people that happen to listen to this starts to start to acknowledge what is, they will have more agency. Because grumpily, um, what it is, is that there is an expectation on your behavior and you are complying, which is tying you up. Somebody expected you not to complain about your workouts. (laughs) (laughs) Or you got to be a teacher that that is, uh, that loves to teach all the time, even if you don't love it that moment. A perfect example. Yes. So Exemplar. So he is more aligned with what is than the expectation that he must love to teach. And when he's aligned with what is, as soon as he says it, there's more energy to teach. There's more agency. And same thing for, for other cases of this. So why can't you acknowledge it? Because the system is frowning upon that acknowledgement. It's not politically correct. It is not nice. It isn't, um, it isn't a behavior uh, that... Or expression that is appropriate. 
for it, the role. It's against the company policy. Exactly. Yeah. So there are all these systems and rules that are pulling on our sleeve all the time of what is expected of us and what it what our obligations are and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do. You can't complain about that. All that stuff. And it's literally suffocating. And so can you acknowledge what is? And in our marriage, so this is, I'm just, when I paused, I checked with my sacred yes. Would it be appropriate to share something so uh, vulnerable for me? And would it be interesting? And would it be would it be additive to the moment? And I got a yes. So you saw it in real time. In the pause, I was checking for my yes. And as I got the yes, uh, so we are 22 years of marriage tomorrow. Okay, mm. so it's it's quite a it's quite a journey. <laughs> and so in the earlier parts of my marriage, I would be the one to keep the peace. And I would, I would tie myself into a pretzel, not acknowledging what I was feeling. And... We think when we do that, that we are in, in service mm -hmm. of the space. We are actually a complete drain. We are drained to the space. We're drained to the relationship. We're not really there. We are not really there. And so the more we expect of the other, the less of them is available. And the more we uh, don't say what is, the less of us is available. And so at the end, if both parties don't acknowledge what is, there is nothing left. They have diminished themselves so much that there is nothing left. And so you're not then relating to an individual with agency. You are just in the ship of the relationship. <laughs> with nothing there and so um in the ship with no relating yes <laughs> yes and so you know that was that was a huge thing for me to that comes from from growing up with a mother and a father where the father wasn't present and wasn't available and wasn't considerate and more into freedom than in connecting and in reaction to that, I set up a bunch of expectation that that's not how I'm going to do things. So I literally disowned half of me. So that's systemic expectation as well as personal expectation, kind of the expectation of the wound, if you would. And so there's all these things that are preventing from preventing acknowledgements that are keeping us tied up. And so acknowledging what is, huge freedom-inducing and presence-inducing practice, and change starts with that. 
it's literally the prerequisites. Are we here? Are we in touch with reality? And so when we're in touch with reality, then something may happen. When we're disconnected from it, yeah. nothing will happen. And so that's the foundational, foundational principle that is highly applicable all day, every day. And um, that's what I would encourage people to, to start with um, without any sacred cows. Like, like, it's literally life, life, life suffocating without it. So name it all, say it all, acknowledge it all. You know, you don't have to identify with it. You can just say, I'm, I'm sensing, I'm sen sensing anger. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a highly, highly life-giving practice. And so in, in relating, in how you're relating to yourself, how much agency you have in all those things, it's, it's highly nourishing. It is so practical, what you just said. Huge. All day long. It's a, another way of putting it is, is to be practicing authenticity because authenticity is not just being genuine and true to how you feel. It's also being self-authoring. So, so you talk about agency. You can't have agency unless you are authoring your experience and be, being the one who's, who, who's writing that story. Mm. You can't do that without honesty. It, it is also a, an elevated and more wholesome way of self-regulating. Yeah. Um, because we usually self-regulate mostly on a physical level. First, mm -hmm. that's what we go to. You know, count to 10, take a yeah. few deep breaths, splash some water on your face. But then what after that? Or worse, have a cigarette, have a drink. Exactly. Have a yeah. dessert, have some food, things <laughs> like that. So, yeah. but, but then, okay, well, that initial feeling that you were trying to regulate, you know, or an issue or uh, a domestic tiff or whatever, you know, it's still going to be there. And uh, the physical is not going to take it away. But when you do kind of involve more of the, a little bit more of the mental awareness, you know, and, and you ask the question and you get the energetic release from that as well. So you get the physical and cognitive and then emotional and ultimately the spiritual way because you, you ask the question, you know, is it mine? And in that moment, the, the release becomes bigger. So in a way, it's more of a wholesome way of self-regulating and uh, and uh, um, maybe elevating. Elevated is not the word, but it's it's all encompassing. It's more refined and mm -hmm. it's more inclusive. It whole, it's holistic. Right. It's it's healthier. I was gonna say it feels like a better use of of a tool that could normally be destructive. Because I mean, everybody has an inner narrator, and for most of us, that inner narrator tortures us all day long. <laughs> telling us all the things we're doing wrong and everything that could go wrong and what we should have done. And you, you know what I mean? And, that, and this is taking that inner narrator and turning it around and saying, let's start authoring uh, a more present experience and asking questions that creates a little pause, a little space, and, and might lead to some insight. You know? Great. And yeah. what just occurred to me is that 
question, is it mine, is acknowledging of your presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is, um, <clears throat> yep. it's kind of sneaky. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's, if you even asked it. Yeah, it's presupposed. It's, You're already aware. It's yeah. presupposed. <laughs> you got to feel aware. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> to remember to ask it uh-huh. has presenced you. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me of what, Sachi, you were describing um, about um, ADHD and autism. And you, you, you gave a model that you explained on the chalkboard at one point, or the chalkboard, mm-hmm. the dry erase board. I'm dating oh, myself here. Okay. Um, I'm a cheap date. Um, but um, you were talking about self-regulation and how mm-hmm. and why uh, the behaviors of some special needs kids and adults mm-hmm. are arising from the overload of sensation and the ability to control their experience through this self-regulatory coping mechanism that, that they mm-hmm. use. And in a way, isn't what she's saying is like a, a yeah. more refined version of what you were describing it as is. a process, right? It is. Um, I think what you're describing is um, in occupational therapy. We, the, occupational therapy has this concept called sensory integration that's used for, uh, you know, predominantly with the autistic population, but, but, for all of us, actually, right? Mm-hmm. And it just uses, um, uh, well, if you're in aerospace, you know, of um, feedback loops and stuff, right? So, so it's like the, 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 the human system is a box. All the things known and unknown, our cognitive abilities, our physical abilities, let's just stick them all inside a box and we'll call this box a human, right? And this box has various sensory input methods. Seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, proprioception, tactile stimulation, all these, these, these different modes of input. So input comes into the box. Whatever magic happens in the box happens. And an output comes out, right? Input, process, output. So um, depending on the skills, in this case, let's just say the skills of the nervous system inside that box, um, uh, we can modulate this incoming stimulus so that we can turn some things down a little bit and we can amplify some things a little bit and that's called self-regulating, right? Like I I can, yeah, I can modulate my experience um, so that I can process things and have a a more appropriate output, right? So for example, um, here's a practical example for anybody who thinks I'm, I'm just, I've lost my mind. Okay. Um, suppose you have um, a child with autism and all of us can hear a dripping faucet in the other room and our nervous system can modulate that input, that sound drip, drip, and we can make some adjustments so that doesn't drive us up the wall. Now, at some point, a dripping faucet can drive anybody up the wall. So let's remember that. Right, we all have the ability to be driven up the wall. Chinese water torture. Right, right. Um, But a particular kid with autism, for example, may not have the ability to modulate that sensory input, and they start to have behaviors that are—that's the output—behaviors that don't seem normal to the rest of us, hitting their ears shaking their hands, making noises, right? Because that is their coping mechanism for being able to 
self-regulate an inability to amplify or de-amplify the, the sensory input, right? Mm. So um, what happens is, without getting into it, is what do we do in, in occupational therapy is we systematically, very carefully with a lot of, you know, theory and insight is we start to carefully control the input that goes into the system to give the system an opportunity to learn how to modulate, right? Um, and um, that question, is this mine, <laughs> is a wonderful strategy inside the box to self-modulate that, right? Mm -hmm. These experiences happen and we blow up inside about this. I don't even understand what's happening at work and in my relationship and in my whatever's, you know, the freeway, right? Whatever's going on. I don't understand what all these things are. I, I don't, I can't, I can't get my feet on the ground to know how to handle this. And something like a question, right? Ends up being the strategy that says, and we just learned how, we just learned a new strategy to self-modulate. Mm. Now I can handle the input that's coming in differently. And based on our conversations, Carlos, you know, I mean, and we, we've had all kinds of wonderful conversations where you've shared all sorts of strategies for me that I'm like, oh, and that's another ninja skill, right? <laughs> to self-modulate, you know, to label something is a self-modulation skill. And somebody could do it for you. That's the input coming into the system or the system can learn how to do it itself. Either way, you know, um, it, it's, it's useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to say that is this mine is acknowledging of the larger systems. Mm. So he has, yeah. <laughs> he has multiple, yeah. uh, because when we're self-identified and then identified with the emotion or the activation, in that moment we are, we are in the box and we're not presencing the, the input or whatever the the quality of input or whatever it is or the larger systems that are producing all that okay and so is this mind has presencing you and presencing all the other things that it could be and so in that way it's it's highly acknowledging of larger larger systems uh, so there's only one healing movement. That's a statement by, by Stefan Hausner. And he, he specializes in using systemic work with illnesses. And there's only one healing movement. There are no two. There are no three. One healing movement, and that is expansion. Mm. Mm. So we just talked about opening the box or making the box bigger or making more space in the box or including the other systems that are contributing that we're not really identifying. So we're either overly identified or not presenced. Mm, yeah. So yeah. overly identified or not including what needs to be included. And so um, overly wrongly identified. <laughs> <laughs> or not not presencing what is in the larger scheme of things and so um, lots of pitfalls 
the world is as is is designed to to take your energy from the how things um, the company wants to take your energy in the organization the 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 market wants to take your energy the bank wants to take your money social media the social media <laughs> wants to take your attention everybody wants a piece of you mm-hmm. everybody wants a piece of you targeted ads yes <laughs> everybody your wife wants a piece of you your children want a piece of you your dog yes <laughs> everybody wants a piece of you and so how do you how do you navigate that and keep agency retain energy um and you know being being in the gap you know it's extremely difficult to be in the gap in the in the day to day or all day and so all of those are highly highly nourishing of like reminders of keeping your keeping your presence and keeping your your true self um because everyone wants to tell you how you should do it because they have a vested interest they have an agenda and if my husband is behaving x y and z I'm a happy camper uh mariana did you know he had a husband <laughs> i just i'm this is news to me just as it okay. is for you okay right. <laughs> thank you for your authenticity yes there you go we'll see if we make it to that uh, anniversary tomorrow uh, we'll right. see yeah. we've got a few hours left yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and authenticity is one of our core values. Actually, I, I wanted to define it, so um, I made a little statement of what our core value of authenticity is, and it goes something like, if it isn't you, if it isn't me, it isn't worth to be, to pretend to be. Mm. Hmm. If it isn't you, if it isn't me, it isn't worth to pretend to be. And that just came out of me uh, when I was when I was looking at our core values of the Systemic Approach Institute. And so it's really, really connected to to authenticity and being being real. And otherwise, uh, it, everything else isn't isn't that interesting. Isn't that mm. important? I like it. That's great. I love it. Yeah. it I love it you and it isn't me it isn't worth to pretend to be so love that that's just fabulous. wanted to share that with you because you guys are the authenticity the mm. authenticity mm. authority oh boy i, I am really wow. uh, <laughs> that's great i'm really grateful that you guys decided to uh, take the step into uh, facilitating and sharing with others in a more active way owning Owning your role as a person to bring these things into the world in a unique way. Because I do feel from my limited experience that, that you are doing things in a very unique way, aren't you? It's different than um, most everything that I see out there that's um, systemic or constellationally related. Uh, and yet there are things in common, of course, but like, I'm just grateful that you chose to do that. I know that the, you as as individuals to be um, confident, but also very humble 
I, and I appreciate that about you both. There's modesty um, in in your um, character that comes out. So it it must have taken a bit to kind of work through any potential discomforts and fears or insecurities or I don't even know what words to use, but things that had to be gotten through in order to 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 decide to put yourself out there, to be willing to be critiqued by people who have lots of opinions or um, or even the, the ones that you have about yourself. I mean, you're human. After all, you probably had your own inner critics speaking loudly, <laughs> too loudly sometimes. So I'm just grateful that you decided to take that. Is there anything you'd like to share about that experience of, of stepping in into... Well, entering the gap and and yeah. coming out to the world. Well, I, I actually I actually have an example, um, and it's, it relates to the situation with the teacher that Ivan mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you at one point after after you know being on the journey of self development, and you know you think that you reached a certain level that you know you are accepting and that you can acknowledge you know what is and things like that. And the, um, when said teacher said it in the in the beginning of the presentation i acknowledged that he doesn't want to be there that he's not excited about the teaching you know online or anything like that it ruined the first hour of his training for me mm. because i'm here you know half of my brain is learning from him taking notes and he's incredible and the other half of my brain is thinking how dare you say that? You just charged us, I don't even know how many euros to participate in this program. There's more than 80 people in this program and you're going to, from all over the world, and you're going to say this. Um, I think I'm going to actually write an email and tell you that's not okay to say it that way. <laughs> you just excluded a bunch of us. Um, I'm the host. I've been hosting. I know what's acceptable to say and what it's not. If my talent was going to say something in the beginning of our meeting, I would be <laughs> fuming. So it's, you know, in that moment, I was completely overtaken by my system on values, in my expectations, all of that. So his being authentic became an issue for me, you know? Mm. And then then Ivan tried to explain it to me, and I was not going to listen to it. I was like, no, you're just defending him because you like him. <laughs> so we actually went on and on. For days, I, I I would just pop into my head and I was absolutely livid of how he said it mm-hmm. and the fact that he said it. And I'm sure that I was not the only one. There's other people, you know, out there that have felt that way. Sure. But then, you know, when Ivan explained it, just like he did tonight, you know, that his level of teaching just, you know, uh, reached, you know, a new height because he acknowledged what is, mm-hmm. you know, I thought to myself, oh my God, I was so entrenched in criticizing him that I might have missed, you know, I probably did miss a lot of his good teaching because my expectations were not going to let him off the hook. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is, uh, first of all, somebody being authentic, you know, it, it, okay, let me put it this way. If I'm being authentic and if I acknowledge what is, even if it's something that might rub somebody else a different way or wrong way, Mm -hmm. that is not my problem. Mm -hmm. That is something that, a button that they're pushing themselves. Mm -hmm. So something, it's an opportunity for them to discover what is it that they don't agree with. Just like I had a huge opportunity to appreciate acknowledging what is, to appreciate the level of teaching that he brought, 
um, to know what to expect. And now when somebody would say something like that, I'm like, right on. Sounds about right. And it also gave me a permission as well to, you know, be like that as well. If I don't like it, I will acknowledge it. If I like it, I will acknowledge it as well. Yeah. So it's, you know, you you think that you, you know, you can regulate, you can do this, you can do that. And then something as simple as one sentence of some person expressing how they truly feel just knocks you yeah. off your throne if you will and then you're like oh my god you know i'm i'm just human i guess so remembering that fact we would probably be be very dishonest if if (laughs) if there wasn't i mean everyone in this room couldn't relate to the book titled you know when other people's authenticity rubs us the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like oh my gosh but you know what you're talking about is we, we all wish we could be like Right on, bro. Let it all hang out. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. You know, but we can't always. We just don't. We're human, and we have opinions and and, and preferences. And sometimes those preferences are really loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, what uh, you were describing, um, I like what you described because it reminded me of this idea that um, a great teacher, when they when they water the garden, they're not just watering the vegetables; they're also watering the weeds and the worms. And the worms. But you want the weeds to grow because if they don't grow, you can't pull them out from the root, mm-hmm. right? So like a good teacher will do that. They'll say, I'm going to water your weeds and get you a little agitated and a little, you know what I mean? And now we're going to pull that up from the root. Yep. Perturb the you system. Uh, yeah, because if, if you don't grow the weeds, you can't, you can't get your fingers on them to pull up the roots. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't go digging in there, you know? That's, so That's true internally. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, know, with yeah. searching out compulsions in, in your own meditations, I mean, unless you allow it, to be and witness it, you can never get to the root of it and pull it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think this that that idea of just acknowledging the reality of where you're at with something. I I really don't want to teach this. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and acknowledging that is just like I'm gonna just let that weed grow. Go <laughs> ahead, go ahead, grow, grow as much as you want. Well, here's the yeah. fact. Uh, yeah. You know, from from a farm girl that I am, uh, the weeds actually, you know, the, their roots and also when you pull them out, they allow more oxygen into the soil. So they aerate, you know, in, in, in a way, the, the soil when they're growing and then also, especially when you pull them out. Mm-hmm. So it's, it serves, serves the purpose as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that everything having a reason thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and everything we're talking about is, is coming back to, uh, you know, I come back to our Vipassana training yeah. with S.N. Goenka, yeah, yeah, uh, the idea of uh, continuity of practice. Mm. You know, that, that stage where, yeah. where you're saying, okay, um, this isn't just in the meditation hall, now the practice is to extend what you're learning into everything you're doing, brushing your teeth, going for a walk, eating a meal, getting dressed in the morning, all those things. And can can you practice this mindfulness all throughout? Um, so, you know, not just the in the dojo, but outside in the world, the real world, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you guys are um, always up to something. You're always up to something. <laughs> you guys are up to something new right now, aren't you? Yeah. Would you we share are, that with us? We are, we are considering, uh, we are currently running um, the sacred, sacred Calling Ignition Program. Wow. Uh, sacred Calling Ignition Program. And it's a nine-month program. We're in uh, month three. and Just like a baby. Yes, we decided to make it nine months long, and we are incubating 
uh, all of our callings. Mm. So you're in the first trimester of this, yes, of this there program. Yes, some morning sickness. <laughs> 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 so uh, that's, that's, that's what's currently happening, and uh, it's, it's quite rich and, and beautiful. And we are inspiring experiences and processes in which people can discover more of their true selves and they can find what is theirs to do in this life. If you would, uh, we are tuning in and listening to what does life want from all of us. And then we are diving deep across different dimensions to find what is our calling and what are we meant to do and what is our unique contribution and what are our gifts and genius and all of those things. So that is, um, that is, that is going really, really well. And, um, you know, in the future, uh, what we'd like to do is, and pretty soon we'd like to start next year, um, we would like to run um, sacred enterprise boards of directors. So we'd like people to build sacred enterprises, enterprises that are in alignment with their calling and to build organizations and an enterprise out of it where their calling can now be amplified and overflow and do even more good and, and make an even larger contribution. And so sacred enterprises, uh, that's something that we are planning to do. And it would be an advisory board where you would be sitting in a room with other sacred enterprise builders, if you would, all following their calling and supporting each other on the journey of making a bigger difference. And uh, I have sat on 300 plus boards of directors meetings, but they were very much from the business side. And so they, there was a lot of um, hardcore business strategies and principles. And if you would, um, lots of visioning and uh, lots of lots of those things and I felt I feel for the last maybe 15 years I've been wondering what why am I doing this weird stuff like you you dude you're weird like I was weird to myself <laughs> like one day I would be doing ancestral healing and the next day I would be in the boardroom and you know it's a kind of like a call for integration and this sacred enterprise is the is going to be the vehicle. Sacred Enterprise Boards, uh, that's going to be the, the vehicle to integrate both ends and to make make something really meaningful and uh, with a lot of contributions. So those are those are the two projects that are that are next. And uh, we are also planning to go out and make it more available to people. Um, kind of make it, uh, we hope, as this all-day, everyday thing. Mm -hmm. If we can make it more available for, for everyone. Uh, like and accessibility? Yes, and to, to reach more people. And so we're looking for, <laughs> for best ways on how to do that. And uh, that's, that's coming up also. But thank you for the question. Uh, it's always cool to talk about your baby. Yeah. And my baby is the, the cutest. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love my baby. And so um, thank you for, 
for uh, asking that. How, yeah, I was gonna say, how, how do people learn about these things? How yeah. do people find you? How do they how do they join? How do they how do they you know sign up? And, yes, and what does it look like, kind of? Yes, so we we have been doing these challenges, if you would. So we have run six unique unique challenges. And the first challenge we ran was called uh, Systemic Work All Day Every Day Five Day Challenge. I remember. And so we would go in there and, and we kind of really shared all this. And then the one following after that was Find Your Voice Challenge. So you need, you need to find your voice if you're going to express yourself. If you're going to acknowledge things, you need to find your voice to do that. And if you're going to express yourself in a bigger way, you need to find your voice. And the noise out there is deafening. And, you know, how can you even hear yourself to know what your voice is? Because it's so noisy. And so we, we did a full five-day exploration in that app. And then uh, we ran Who is Making Your Decisions Challenge. That was awesome. Hmm. So... That's like, hmm, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not making my decisions. But who is making my decisions? And so there are decisions made for us mo most of the day. 30,000 decisions are made by us every day. It's a lot of decisions. Most of them are automatic, habitual, and they're coming from all the systems we are brought in. And so it, they're just happening like that, but they're not really our own. And uh, then we delve into what are all those systems that are making those decisions for us. So the, and the next one after that was transitions. How to make a transition in your life from one thing to the next once you have maybe making new decisions. And so it's kind of like a progression uh, that's, that's moving in that direction. Then we had a revolution challenge, systemic leadership revolution challenge. And so we come up with new challenges you know, we're considering the true calling challenge. And so there will be future challenges that we're going to run. But uh, as of right now, we're building our site and we have a Facebook page, the Systemic Approach Institute Facebook page. So that's how people can find it in the meantime. And um, if they Googled Systemic Approach Institute, will it direct to the to the Facebook page? I'm not sure, but uh, they can just go to Facebook and, and search in the Facebook search. Well, I said the word Google and my phone just started going off. Yeah. Be quiet, you. Didn't ask for your input. Or yeah. Yeah. And, and if someone, <laughs> someone has a question of some kind, you know, they can just email. Email Ivan at Systemic Approach Institute mm -hmm. or Mariana at SystemicApproachInstitute.com. Okay. And those, those are some of the ways now, but we are definitely looking to get out there. Uh, thank you for the... for for you know inviting us here this is yeah. part of what we're going to do more and more of um and, and go out there and share about this uh, modality and this way of seeing things and this way of this way of living it was an absolute pleasure having you here as it always is it's great to engage because the conversations are are fun and comfortable and friendly and loving but also we dive into deep topics uh, the same as as I do with my closest friends so this is why we have this and, and uh, I hope that the listener if they haven't heard previous episodes uh, on the systemic work uh, that we we've, we've done I hope that they at least get a a, a sense of what this is about because and I want to just say 
if you're listening to this and you're like relating to a lot of the things that are said, but you still don't quite feel like you understand it, you're not crazy. That's normal. <laughs> it's completely normal. And uh, that reduces somewhat as you dive in. It's one of those things like, um, you remember the web that had n has no weaver? Yes, by Ted Kapchuk. Exactly, yeah. the classic of Chinese medicine. Uh, you know, I, I know a, a tiny little fingernail scratch compared to what you know about Chinese medicine. But there's something in that book that mm -hmm. talked about um, when you're diving into Chinese medicine and it's such a huge topic, like systemic work, constellations, this kind of thing. It's so big that f when we come from a Western standpoint, we look for some kind of linear, step-by-step, -step, uh, deductive kind of reasoning uh, that, that explains what it is and just kind of, um, I don't know, uh, like an exegesis, you know, that just kind of just lays it all out for you. But in that book by Ted Kapchak, it was just like, in order to understand this, you have to get that, you have to dive in. You can't just try to take a piece and try to understand from that piece to the other piece. You have to jump into the web and realize as you go along that your approach to learning has to realize that, or has to include the idea that everything's connected to everything else. Every concept is connected to every other concept. Mm -hmm. And it's an approach that's um, uh, circular in a way. It's three-dimensional. It's not just going in one direction. And, and the only way to learn is to dive in. Mm -hmm. So, so this is what we did. We dove in and it might've seemed haphazard because we're in the moment. Yes. <laughs> and, and this it's one of the features of it that it, it's, that it's fractal. Yeah. So no matter how much you zoom in or zoom out, it's the same. You can have this conversation with your, with your child is perfectly incredibly useful in parenting, in relationships, in um, your growth and development in your business or calling or whatever you're doing for career. And then ultimately, it's very extremely useful for societal issues. And ultimately, this, this is one of the, the great hopes that we can facilitate change at a, at a larger level. And so literally, the society, family, organization, and self on all three levels, and they're they're quite connected, and um, they are the feedback loops from one to the other that are that are ever present, and so there is there is a tremendous amount of opportunity that we have, and we don't have that much time, and so that's part of the reasons why we are uh, we are doing it both altruistically and selfishly simultaneously um, because we want a higher quality of life we want to enjoy we only have so much quality time remaining in this life and we want to enjoy as much as we can so freeing ourselves up as much as we can and then sharing sharing with others as much as we can about it so that's what we're up to and thanks for having us yeah it's beautiful mm -hmm. I'm just going to add one more tiny little thing because I feel called to do so. And that is to say that I believe in this work. I really appreciate what it's done for me and what it continues to do for me. And therefore, this is coming from my heart when I, when I express this to anybody who's hearing it. If you, if you check in with yourself 
and you can't explain rationally what any of this is that we've been talking about, but you feel like your curiosity has been sparked, your heart has been warmed, or you feel a sense like you just want to explore it, I would highly encourage you to get in contact with these two through the Systemic Approach Institute because uh, it's going to be a beautiful journey and you're going to understand as you go along. So please do. Please please follow your intuition. Go with it. <laughs> Thank It'll you pay that. off in yes. spades. And we have a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah absolutely. We have a lot of fun doing it. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that very much, Carlos. Thank you, guys. Thanks you again. create yes. a wonderful, wonderful space for exploration and uh, and enjoyment and fun and insights and downloads. So this was actually really, really, really cool. Thank you both. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Sats Purcell. Very special thanks to our guests, Ivan and Mariana Polich from the Systemic Approach Institute. My name is Oliver Altine. I produce the show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and find us on social media. And you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.